Hi there, my name is Ben Conley, and I serve as Director of Training for Saturate. And welcome to the Saturate Podcast. On today's episode of the Saturate Podcast, we're concluding a three-part mini-series around the concept of genuine community. If you haven't yet, check out the first two episodes with Bob Goff, Doug Logan, Trulia Newbell, Daniel M., and other friends. Today, in our final episode, you'll hear from Alan Hirsch, NFL MVP Sean Alexander, who wrote the Ford for a book that I got to release on Genuine Community, as well as my friends Bob Roberts and Elliot Grudem. In this episode, we'll wrap up this series by thinking of the difference in community and communitas. We'll think about teamwork as it relates to community and the necessity that we each have, even if we don't like to admit it, of being surrounded by folks who are different from us. You can head to GenuineCommunity.com for more info and to download the first chapter of A Field Guide for Genuine Community. And you can join Saturate as a member at SaturateTheWorld.com for hundreds of resources on living in community as well as everyday discipleship and life on mission. And now, let's jump into our last four interviews. Alan Hirsch, founder of 100 Movements and Forge and 5Q and essentially founder of Everything Missional. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's a, it's a joy to be with you again, Ben. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Alan, we'll jump right in. Um, what does genuine community look like to you? Well, I was pondering this whole idea. I mean, like, I think it's very hard to get <clears throat> beyond the idea what you see next to uh, that kind of fellowship there, you know, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, experiencing a deep sense of awe and wonder at what God was doing, miraculous signs and wonders, meeting together in one place, sharing everything they had. Um, and then, the, you know, the people being added to the church. It's, it's very hard to kind of get beyond that as a really dynamic expression of community. That's kind of marked by generosity of spirit. Um, the word sharing comes up in that passage quite a lot. <clears throat> and I love the idea of the community in awe and wonder, or a deep sense of awe of God, but also wonder at miracles and experiencing miracles. And I think a community and sharing and that thing is kind of the context in which miracles are likely to take place. I mean, this is what you might call Pentecostal fellowship. It's the time of Pentecost, right, when the Spirit came upon the people of God. But another uh, way of, <clears throat> I've always been stimulated by Leslie Newbigin's kind of definition of community, where, where, you know, but the best evidence for the gospel is a community that lives by it. You know, kind of where the community is a bit of heaven on earth, right? It's a little taste, a scratch and smell experience, you know. Ah, I see a little bit of Jesus here, you know. So I think that kind of idea of a community that gathers around Jesus, and that therefore is a group of disciples committed to becoming more and more like him. Uh, I think that's that's what, for me, community is about. Mm. That's a beautiful picture. Um, I've heard you talk about the difference in what's commonly called community and then kind of communitas, which is something deeper and richer. Is that is what you described? Is that communitas as God intended? 
Yes, I mean, it's certainly an expression of it. Uh, communitas, just, uh, it's a funny term, um, but it distinguishes from our ordinary experience of fellowship. Um, with by Communitas is a form of community that gathers in the context of an ordeal, challenge, um, danger, disorientation, kind of like what we're experiencing now. You know, we're in liminal conditions now, which is that's liminality. Um, that could, if all the conditions are right, bring together a group of people um, that meet together, you know, as a comradeship, a, a kind of a, a daring group of people who, who commit themselves to each other. A sports team is a good example of this, but, you know, people in, in the rescue and fire departments experience that, you know, we're in the military, I guess, is there too. You know, we, everyday life experiences this, but there's a bonding. And I, I, yes, I think that's very much a mark of uh, communities that can change the world, is adventure, integrated risk, not risk-averse, but engaging risk, and being developed and grown in, in that time, yeah. And then there's obviously the greatest adventure, the greatest risk and death to self and beautiful picture of togetherness that we find in Christ and, and in his greatest community us. Yeah. And yep. yet it's so hard. You're, you're in Melbourne today. You spend a lot of time in the States, uh, and, and you see the church in the Western world. You speak into the church in the Western world. But what's, what's the hardest part of creating that actual communitas community as God intended? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a costly thing, right? Community <clears throat> calls us out of our individualism, for one. You, 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 by very definition, we have to recognize that we can't do this alone and we are called out of our self-secure kind of situation where we live according to our own interests. And that's costly. I'm a, uh, I don't know if this means anything about it. I'm an Enneagram 5, which is an, and I'm an introvert. So living in community, which I've, some, I've always done, I've always committed to this. We've always lived together with other people in, in our home um, ever since we were married. And in fact, uh, the last couple of years was the only time when we haven't. So the two years in New York City, prior to coming back to Melbourne, uh, we didn't live with other people, but it was New York City, so we had people all around us, you know. But um, it's costly, um, but also it's beautiful. You know, it's um, there's something, a gift that it brings us, you know, that you can't get by any other means. And... Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you've got to give yourself to something, and, and and you learn how to love and and to be loved in return. And I think that's risky and dangerous and beautiful at the same time. Yeah, that is beautiful. We were talking just before we started recording just about some of the division and difficulty, and and as we come out of COVID, whatever coming out of COVID looks like, it looks different in Melbourne today than in Texas than wherever folks are watching from. What's what's your hope for the church? And that's your church, and then also I know you have a huge heart for the global church. What's your hope as it relates yeah. to community? Yeah, well, you know, it's the big challenge of COVID, I mean, and this is going to be a particular challenge because <clears throat> needing to self-isolate has meant that we've, you know, we, we don't touch each other. And, and we, we're not allowed to be with each other in larger groups, but even in small groups in some cases, when we completely locked down. And I think that the danger there, then, is that we're going to experience that as a habit. 
you know, that it doesn't take long for communities or people to develop deep habits of isolation. And I think it's going to be quite a challenge bringing us back together. And um, But I think the challenge is, and this is the the good side of the equation, if there's a good side of it, is I think what COVID has done is, while it's put pressure on the larger gatherings, it's also rewarded smaller, more relational aspects of church. So I actually see this as a time where what we're now calling the micro-church or missional community, whatever you want to call it, it's a time to discover the dynamics of neighborhood church um, that is networked. It's, it's a movement moment, in my opinion, if we will grasp it. But I think it, things are going to change, and they inevitably they are, and I don't think they're going to go back to normal. I really, really don't think so. I think people are dreaming if they think it is, because the digital cat is out the bag. And people, you know, used to being consumers in, in much of our churches now don't even have to go to church on Sundays. They don't have to get in the car. They can stay at home and flip pancakes while watching, you know, what, 10,000, 50,000 different possibly, you know, possible kinds of church services. That's not good. That's, that's changed everything. And I think whether we like it or not. So, But I think it's a challenge. I think the challenge is to discover rich relationships in the local community. I'd love to see a, a church on every street. You know, where a group of Christians can gather together on, if it's Sunday mornings, be it Sunday mornings, where they can do like we, we read in the book of Acts, you know? Yeah. No, Live life that, together. That is one of my hopes and prayers. Um, we even, in, in a field guide for genuine community, address the idea. Great book. Of, uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. You said some kind words in it. I quoted you a couple times in it because you're far wiser than I am. Um, oh, but. But we talk about how easy it is to, to live a digital life and how we can hide so much and how that creates the facade. And so that is part of our hope is to help folks move from facade to family and especially in this time as we come out of a year of isolation um, to not return to yeah. normal, um, yeah. but, but to return to something far more great. And we have to model that way, don't we, Ben? We've got a, a few of us have got to come together and show people how it might look post-COVID. That's authentic, you know, so it's, it becomes critical for people to take take a dive, you know, dive into community, give it a shot and um, yeah. see what happens. Yeah. God, would you create that desire in us and would you help us by the power of your spirit? Um, Alan, thank you. Thank you for your consistent voice of wisdom. Thank you for holding and calling the church to something more than it is. Um, thank you for your work with Movement Leaders Collective and, and the multiple resources. I think your name's on half the books and my shelf behind me, and I'm incredibly grateful for you, friend. Thanks, brother. It's, a, it's, it's awesome. It's, a, it's a, such a gift to be, you know, be in people's lives like that. I never, I never take it lightly. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day for you. I'll have a good evening, and we'll see you soon. Peace and mercy. Guide for Genuine Community, and oh yeah, NFL MVP. There we go. There we go. <laughs>
Thank you, Sean, my friend, for joining me today. Yeah, no doubt. Brother, you know, I was uh, really excited um, just to put my hands around the real hard copy. I know you've put so much work into it, but um, it's such a needed uh, um, tool for so many people, especially just talking about community and real family. So uh, so I'm, I'm thankful that you wrote it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for you. You may have written the best part. So folks can decide on that. Later, so. <laughs> But what, is, what does genuine community look like for you and for the Alexander family? You know, uh, I think it's always about having a real um, intimate conversation, um, being able to look into somebody's life and then being able to challenge or encourage it to keep on going for Jesus. You know, uh, unfortunately, we live in a society where everybody can um, play the game and look polished, but not really show how messy life is. And so you you articulated very well that Real family is messy. Everybody's got cousins. No, not none of us, but cousins that have done some things that they would be ashamed of. And and instead of ignoring it or shaming them, uh, real family is about coming together and uh, being willing to go through all of it, the goods and the bads, the championships, and even the times where you know that you've messed it all up. And so real family is not scared to go through all of that together. That's good. And I've been in your house. I've seen how your family lives and just people coming in and out. And there's just an openness and a hospitality and generosity. Um, what, what are some of the hardest parts of genuine community? And then what are some of the most beautiful parts that kind of keep you guys going with that life that you guys live? You know, some of the hardest parts is, uh, you know, when you hear most people want to take um, their pastorship off or they want to take their ministry hat off and just rest. Um that's not really the hardest part. The hardest part is when somebody wants to be fake, you know what I mean? And so, so the hardest part of it, anything is when somebody is living a lie, they, they fall into the persona known as the artist formerly known as, and, um, and that, that becomes hard because you can't help but be human and say, well, gosh, if they lied about that, what else are they lying about? And, uh, and that's a hard, uh, thing to, to go through. But, um, the greatest thing is when you see growth. You see a person that um, fully didn't believe that they were who God called them to be. They fully didn't believe inside them was enough to go and impact the world or even make other disciples or even conquer the old demon that used to be always on them. And so excitement is seeing them mature into who God's created them to be. Um, and the battle is, is when they fall for the facade that says who they are wasn't already the perfect person to be in the family. Yeah. I love that answer. Um, you've obviously had a, a long history of people playing on teams together, pursuing a goal together that's greater than any individual. Uh, how does that team mentality fit exactly what you're saying as far as needing other people alongside us? Well, you know, it, it's taken time for me because, of course, I'm still maturing in that. But people don't always have the same talents and they don't have the same positions. And so, and so usually um, that becomes the biggest issue. They start comparing each other to each other and comparing always ends in disaster. You know, um, one of the things I always tell my kids is don't compare, compete. And what does compete mean? It means you play your role at the highest level that you can. And um, and it, and a lot of people say, well, I'm competing against this person. Well, you got to be careful. Now you've just compared yourself to what that person's doing, right? Um, competing is, is here's my responsibility and I'm going to go do it at a high level um, within me and the gifts that God's given me. And so um, that's how I look at church family. Hey, don't compare yourself to somebody. Go be you to the family and do it at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's one of the things that I know as you wrote the forward as we worked on this project, um, trying to draw out of going like, hey, it, it, it's actually worse if we're all exactly the same. Um, yeah. And but if you have your gifts and, you know, you're in, just thinking of your own literal household stone, if all of your individual kiddos and pal and everybody, if everybody was exactly the same, y'all be killing it. <laughs> y'all be killing it in something and then th other things would be a mess. But the way that even your household lives and the way that you know, your new church plant lives as well, that beautiful picture of everybody bringing their gifts together is just an awesome picture of this Vinian community. Yeah, you know, we, we love the fact that we have different cultures, different ethnicities, different, <laughs> different how people were raised, different jobs, different giftings, different skill sets, different types of families. Some are really big like mine and some are just small. Some people are like, I don't know if I ever want to get married. You're like, wow. But they're all part of the family. And that's that's when it becomes beautiful. Different struggles that people have struggled with or are struggling with now. Um, and different things that they've conquered than other people would just be like, man, I don't know if I'll ever be able to conquer it like that. Um, that's the beauty of family is that um, everybody gets to come in and we get to bring glory to God for where we are and where we are about to go. Yeah, it's good. And speaking of where we're about to go, we're all coming out of a year where things have felt more divided and isolated, that kind of stuff. It feels a little bit different in Northern Virginia and Texas than it does in some other parts of the world people are watching from. Uh, but what's your hope? for the church, your own church, and, and the global church as we continue to come out of kind of this COVID season? Yeah, you know, my hope is that people have real relationships. I mean, it's so powerful to know that you can be yourself, you can actually talk what's real, what are you really thinking, what's really going on in your life and job and family and all that. You know, um, I really liked, um, you know, you, you gave it a different title, but I, I, you know how I am. I like to give it different titles, but I liked the four, I call them the four lie groups. Uh, you, you had a different title for it, but it was, it was, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to grab it actually and look at it. Uh, it was the groups of people that, that are really not um, healthy for people to really grow in the Lord. And, uh, you know, I wrote them down. Um, one is... Uh, uh, when it's good for you and not everybody else. So in other words, you're looking for what's the most healthy group for you and how, how damaging it is to your future. Um, another one is, is one that's, that's a common for you. In other words, everybody kind of does something that you do <laughs> and, uh, and how dangerous that is. Uh, a, a third one that, um, really, uh, kind of rocked me was one that, that is not challenging to you. In other words, people don't get into your stuff. And, uh, and the fourth one is when, it, when, you, when you shift your groups uh, depending on the stage of life. Well, I'm a teen, so I'm hanging with teens. And I'm, a, I'm single, so I'm hanging with singles. And now I'm a, a married, so I'm going to hang with married. Now I'm married with three kids, so now I can hang with people with three kids or more. And now I got 10 kids. Okay, so I'm going to hang with a 10 kid group. You know, um, This is my job. I'm going to hang with people that make this kind of money. Um, all four of those groups are lying groups because that's not really the body. The body has toes and elbows and knees and ears and eyes and everybody's um, uniquely gifted and uniquely different. And so some things that somebody um, that's a part of your group should should kind of bother you because either they do it and you know they're a nose but they don't really quite walk right you know it's like well they shouldn't they're a nose you know and and when you get the right group there's this healthy man that's so encouraging that's so inspiring how well they do that oh but this is also frustrating because they don't do this thing that i do really well um that is the making of a really good group and so my goal for everybody is to get yourself in a real body and then get yourself into a good inner circle that says, hey, we're different, 
but we're going to encourage each other, challenge each other, inspire each other to go all in for Jesus. That's real family. I love that. And that's a lot of what uh, this project, this book is, is designed to help folks take some of those very first steps or maybe some of the next steps yeah. or maybe even overcome fear and desire to take a step in that. Yeah, it's the greatest life. It's the greatest life. Yeah. I, I want to I encourage everybody that even watches this little little five, ten minutes of, that we're talking. It is the greatest life to have people with you that know you, know your weaknesses, can see the things that you can't even see about yourself and still love you, inspire you, and challenge you to go be greater in Jesus. It's the greatest life. Yeah. Thank you for your involvement in this. I love you, brother. I'm grateful for you. And uh, I'll give you a chance to do your favorite sign-off for the interview. Okay. Hey, love you all. Jesus wins. Finish the game. There it is. Thanks, Sean. Church, thank you for joining me today. Ben, I'm glad to be here. All right, Bob, we'll jump right in. What does genuine community look like for Bob Roberts? Wild transparency. Mm. I, I want to be able to hang out with people, be who I am, not put up a front, not worry, are you going to think this? If, if I say that, I, I want people that I can be real with, that I feel relaxed, and they feel relaxed around me, and they can... They can have that same experience. Intimacy. How's that for a word? Intimacy. Close people. You don't have to fight. You don't have to sit there and worry about silence or anything else. You just you're comfortable. When you say it like that, it makes it sound beautiful and also simple. And yet it doesn't feel simple. Why is it so hard? Because we try to impress one another too much. Will they really like me if they know this about me? Will they really still respect me if they know I struggle with this or that? I, I think that's hard. I think also many of us have faced rejection in our life. And so we don't want to be rejected. We would rather be ignored than rejected. So we're waiting for friends that will invite us in. We're almost waiting for them to show us their imperfection for us to be comfortable around them. And so you've worked with folks from not just different tribes and different tongues, but even different religions. What, what are some of the ways you found to break through some of that fear, especially for those within Christian community, Christ following community, but even with others, what are some ways to, to break through that, um, that fear of rejection? I'd say two things. Number one is food. As crazy as that sounds, go out and eat with somebody. There's something about uh, eating a bowl of hot pho with Vietnamese that you don't know. So food, I had a Vietnamese uh, diplomat at my home this weekend. Him and his wife just wanted to come hang out. And so I would say eating together. And, and, and the second thing is laughter. When you can laugh with somebody, I don't know what it is about laughter. It ought to be one of the spiritual gifts. But when you can laugh, 
and you can go, I don't know, all of a sudden you just set your guard down a, a whole three or four degrees. So I think overcomes, you overcome that through laughter, through eating together, and through sharing, honestly, something that you feel. Here's something I've learned. If you can be self-deprecating about yourself, for whatever reason, uh, people go, okay, I can visit with that person. And what have you seen as being a benefit of people who are unlike one another coming together to form a true community? Oh, my gosh. It's unlimited. Yeah. Here's why. Number one, they have things that you don't nor never will. The only way that you're going to get some things in your life is from somebody else. This is hard to believe, but we are not self-sufficient nor self-sustaining. But together we are. And so when we come together and you see somebody that's different, you're going to get all, like, like, for example, I'm talking about the guy from Vietnam. I went to Vietnam to help them. What did I need from Vietnamese? How about how the world functions? How about their story? How about their math skills? Mine suck. So, I mean, there's something we get from people and you never know what you're going to get. I mean, I hang out with Muslims all the time. They made me a strong Trinitarian because they made me question. They asked me questions. I didn't like my answers. It forced me to go deeper. Yeah, and both within the Christian world and not, the, the differences between people and the beauty of, you know, what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. I love the tangible way that you're talking about the body coming together. And that's that's some of what we explore in this new book, A Field Guide for Genuine Community, which Bob's quoted in. You're quoted in a few times here. All right. Um, only the best things you've ever said, not the, not the <laughs> ones you don't want me to say. Not all that stuff that's going to make me look bad. That's right. There's very, very little of that. And a little bit, but not too much. Uh, <laughs> last question is, we come out of COVID, whatever that means. What's your hope for your church? What's your hope for kind of the global church related to community? Equality. Equality. I don't think we get equality. And by that, I mean, uh, there, there's so many divisions and polarizations. You're the wrong political party. Uh, you know, you don't have the right color skin. You don't have... You, you don't have the right education. You don't have the right background. I would love for us to move away from categorizing people and see people honestly in the image of God as equals. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for those words. Thank you for the good words that you lent to uh, this book. Um, and for more, even on some of that equality and some of the things that Bob is working on, Bold Love is podcast, and you should go listen to him because uh, he has more good things to say than our few minutes together has allowed. But Bob, thank you so much for the time today. You bet, man.
president of Leaders Collective and just a consistent voice of wisdom and encouragement in my own life. Thank you for joining me today. Ah, it's a joy to be with you. All right, so we'll jump right in. Uh, this book about genuine community. What does genuine community look like for you, Elliot? Uh, well, uh, it's a foretaste of eternity, right? Uh, it's a gift of grace. Um, it is a, uh, it's an application of the gospel. Yeah. I love that. And I love the theology of it. And yet it's hard. Yep. Um, and it's hard to implement just like so many other foretastes. What do you find to be just even on a tangible level? What are, what, what are the hardest parts of genuine community? And then when we can break through that, what's your favorite part of experiencing it? Well, I mean, the hardest part of genuine community is, very much, you got sinners bumping into sinners. Um, you know, community is a gift of grace. Uh, community is a foretaste of eternity. If you know, as the Apostle Paul seems to indicate, genuine community is actually a good application of the gospel. Um, as we struggle to apply the gospel to our lives, and especially in our relationships with others, uh, as we find our own sinfulness bumping into the other, you know, the sinfulness of others, um, it just makes it tough. Uh, to give expression to uh, that which is ours in Christ. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite things I've heard you say, um, and I, I quote you in this little book, yeah. Field Guide for Genuine Community, um, is a summary of a verse in Hebrews, but you say it like this, without encouragement we die. Yeah. Um, out a little bit, for the weary especially today. Yeah, for the weary especially. I mean, I, it's, I just find it fascinating that uh, the author of Hebrews tells us the one thing that we need on a uh, on a daily basis is exhortation from others and so it's you know there's two parts to that right uh one we need others so we need to be in relationship with others we need to be in that community with others where they are uh, regularly interacting with us um and finding reasons to exhort us and so i don't think the exhortation he's talking about are the kind of general statements that might wind up on a on a motivational poster or something, but instead exhortations, the kind that really get in our heart um, and help our hearts, uh, you know, from uh, help our hearts believe the gospel, not believe the lies, uh, help our hearts, you know, from not becoming hardened uh, by the deceitfulness of sin, as the author of Hebrews says. And uh, and then, of course, he ties that to our perseverance in the faith. And so, and so there really is that, uh, there really is that absolutely that, or I guess you could say it this way, that um, that encouragement from others, um, exhortation from others that comes meaningfully in the context of community from people that really know us and have the ability to uh, to speak encouragement to our hearts or to our souls. Um, uh, without it, we're just not going to make it. Yeah. And I know that you, you work a lot with pastors and church planners uh, through Leaders Collective residencies and through cohorts with lead pastors. I see this with pastors as well as uh, as well as with everyday Christians. It seems to be even with that knowledge, most often we find ourselves like more burdened by community. Without isolation, we feel like we die. So we start to pull away a lot, or we find ourselves without that community. Um, and what is it about what is it about the community that that can draw us back in? That can help us see our need for it. Well, you know, I, I think it. I think it. Um, gosh. Uh, so many things. Um, I think it uh, it meets us in the midst of our loneliness. We weren't we weren't made to 
or, or put it a different way, we were made to live in relationship. And so, um, you know, uh, going back into community makes us realize that isolation and loneliness is not the way God designed it to be. Um, two, uh, we find um, that being in community with others is a pretty um, easy is probably the wrong word, but it's a great way to glorify God. Um, in terms of it's part of what he made us for. And when we gather together in that, Ephesians 3 says that um, we really do bring God glory uh, and we show him, uh, we show his infinite wisdom and power. Uh, we, um, when we do that, um, you know, we show forth the good work of Christ uh, who, is, who is bringing us together. And um, as a, you know, especially as pastors and leaders, I mean, isn't that what we want? Um, don't we want to glorify God? Don't we want to show forth the gospel, the good work of Christ? Don't we want to give good expression to that? And so, um, you know, coming back, being a part of that community, in addition to meeting our need for relationship, even above and beyond that, um, at its just very base level, uh, we give expression to the gospel and show forth the good work of Christ, which is kind of what we got in this work to start. Yeah. Start, you know, it's kind of maybe, yeah, it's, it's kind of like this work in the first place. Yeah, and, and I think you already foreshadowed a little bit of this, but but for your own church community, for your, for the pastors you work with, for just the global church, what are some of your hopes as we continue to kind of come out of COVID as it relates to this kind of beautiful gospel shaped foretaste community you've been talking about? Yeah, you know, I mean, I just um, you know that we would apply uh, passages like. Um, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 3, we'd walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called uh, with all the humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, there's a lot uh, that can be uh, put in those kind of four simple phrases. Um, and then th- that we would be, verse 3, uh, eager to maintain um, uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Um, you know, even as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about you know, kind of the second half of Romans 12, um, that we would let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. There's a lot there. Uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. There's a lot there. Uh, repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will pray, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his, coals on his head. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with good. And so, you know, my hope is not just for my community that I'm in here in Raleigh, not just for the community, um, that uh, I see with the pastors I work with, but for the uh, community, for the church, capital C, um, that we really take those words of Paul seriously in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4 and other places um, in his letters um, and really seek to give expression to uh, the unity or community um, that, uh, that Jesus has created and, um, and purchased for us. 
and those texts and others are some that we explore in the new book we have coming out Fantastic. on this, um, which tries to help us put those really impossible sounding one another commands into practice, or at least take one step into them. Elliot, thank you for your friendship and encouragement in my own life. Thank you for your work with pastors and planters. If you are a pastor and planter, you're feeling weary if you're wanting to plant a church, leaderscollective.com is the place for you. And Elliot, I'm really grateful for the time today. Man, it's always fun to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Saturate Podcast. This episode was part of a special mini-series surrounding a new book that came out this summer called A Field Guide for Genuine Community. You can visit genuinecommunity.com for more info, for lots of resources to help groups and churches, and to download the first chapter for free. And to become a Saturate member, visit Saturate the World and get access to hundreds of resources to help and encourage everyday disciples and leaders just like you toward gospel saturation.